Welcome to Trailblazer Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is 313 Multiclassing. This is part of our 300 series covering advanced topics. What exactly is multiclassing? Pretty self-explanatory. Multiclassing is when you choose to distribute the levels you gain as you play the game into multiple different classes rather than the standard way of playing, just leveling up in a single class. Uh, do you want to be a wizard? Christian, honest question. Do you know what self-explanatory means? I do know what self-explanatory is, and I was being brief and didn't want to go off on a tangent, but we can go down this road if you want to. Well, Christian, I see that we actually have what looks like six pages of notes here, so I figure as quickly as possible, as often as possible, I could really veer us off course. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote the notes with that built out into it, you know, I wanted to really uh, count okay, for okay. it. A lot of this is just padding, I put it into that random text generator it's not real notes <laughs> just latin and then in parentheses at the end of it caleb just bullcrapping <laughs> caleb's garbage here so suppose you want to be a wizard who could fly into a barbarian rage in a pinch you want to put levels into both wizard and barbarian uh, you want to be an acrobatic scoundrel who can also use holy magic to heal their allies you'll want to be both a rogue and a cleric most of our 300 series is very conceptual. We're going to have a pretty mechanical discussion of how specifically multiclassing works. And then we're going to go over a lot of like the philosophy around it, the strategies and ways you can approach multiclassing so that you can use it effectively as a player and you can even use it effectively as a GM. And guys, I don't want to fluff Christian's feathers too much, which another tangent, that's not a phrase. I used it like strangely once. I don't know why I came up with it. And ever since I've thought, you know what, I'm going to make this a thing. So go home, tell your friends that you're fluffing their feathers <laughs> when you're complimenting them. Let's make this a thing. Christian, not to fluff your feathers too much, but I think you guys are actually in for a treat because Christian, I've seen Christian be able to sit down with a character sheet, really optimize it, really like min-max it for like awesome performance. He, he finds all these these little niche things in here and to see him just reading over these notes he's prepared, to see him really uh, analyze how to multi-class. You guys, this is going to be like one of our most comprehensive lessons, I think. Multiclassing is one of the things that like draws me into the game. There's a lot of things that go along with multiclassing. There's prestige classes, there's archetypes uh, that, that kind of coincide with multiclassing. And it's like taking those mechanical niches and combining them is really where I have ended up on how I play the game and how I build characters. I went to put examples at the end of it. And I was like, oh, right. I've actually I've done this a lot. I never really think about it, but I've, <laughs> I've actually done this a lot. I do want to give a preface before we start about multiclassing. This guide is going to help you, but generally speaking, multiclassing is not the strongest way to build a character in Pathfinder. The strengths of characters in Pathfinder come primarily from their class features that scale as they are a higher level. This is going to come as a surprise for anyone that came from 3.5, because in D&D 3.5, multiclassing was like the be-all end-all of any character. Characters didn't get a lot as they leveled up, and most things didn't scale on level, so the best way to make a character was to just take, you know, one level of this, one level of this, one level of this. Not the case in Pathfinder. It can be powerful, but you're going to need you know, a lot of bookkeeping and a lot of knowledge to do that. Also, traditional multiclassing isn't always necessary. There are many archetypes that exist in Pathfinder that do what multiclassing is aiming to do, but do it much smoother and they do it much easier. If you want to be both a bard and a rogue, well, the archaeologist bard archetype exists, and it is going to be much better, really, than any build you could do taking levels of bard and levels of rogue. You want to be a, a gunslinger and a wizard? Well, there's the spell slinger wizard archetype. An archetype
archetype obviously doesn't exist for all combination of classes, but there are a lot. And also, some of the first episodes we ever did were classes that were designed to be hybrids of two different classes. Mm -hmm. In the Advanced Player's Guide, a lot of those classes technically, you know, your Brawler, your Arcanist, all those classes are technically, in a sense, multi-classes. But you can multi-class them now. They even list there, these are the two classes that we've combined to make this class. And then things like Prestige classes... Like to, to, to talk to your point, what makes the strong prestige classes or the viable prestige classes viable are the ones that say every time you get a level in your prestige class, you'll get a level of your spell casting or whatever. Oh, your, your, your class skill will still scale. Exactly. And prestige classes are one of the goals you're going to be aiming for with multi-classing. So before I get into the mechanics of it, I kind of want to set forward, like, what are our goals when we are multi-classing? What are we aiming for? Because you might not think of it, but what you're aiming for is already kind of laid out for you in a single class. You want to get stronger. And the way you get stronger is by putting levels in a single class. That doesn't follow through for multi-classing. There are going to have to be different goals and different thoughts you have to put forward to level up a character and multiple things and make them effective. So how do we make our multi-class character stronger? Many prestige classes exist simply to be a vehicle for multi-class characters to now take just a single class. Something like Eldritch Knight is a prestige class from the core book. It is basically a full BAB spellcaster, and the prerequisites exist so that you need a certain uh, level of arcane spellcasting, and you need a certain BAB or certain weapon proficiencies. Once you reach those uh, prerequisites, you can now take levels in a single class, which will level up your spellcasting, and it will keep your full BAB intact. If you're not aiming to be a prestige class, another goal you can have for multi-classing is ability synergies. You want to take abilities from two different classes, you want to reach the levels appropriate for those abilities, and then you want to, you know, use them in tandem so that they're more powerful. A kind of classic example of this is multi-classing Oracle and Barbarian. There is an Oracle ability that allows you to become immune to becoming fatigued, and Barbarians, once they're finished raging, will enter fatigue. You multi-class these two together, that allows what is called rage cycling, a really powerful synergy between those two abilities that allow the barbarian to enter and exit rage freely from turn to turn. Or even something a little simpler, uh, rogue and monk. If you multi-class rogue and monk, you want to get sneak attack on the rogue and you want to get flurry of blows on the monk. Sneak attack does extra damage per hit. Flurry of blows allows you to hit more. Those two abilities are now synergistic with each other. You said that generally you won't get more powerful. That sounds actually very good to me. Are there a lot of these like great combos? There are quite a few abilities that will synergize with each other. I'm going to go over them later, some of the specific ones. But you do find cool combos like that. That goes along with this goal of these ability synergies. You also want to be thinking about benchmarks you want to reach in your classes. Usually if you are a, you know, in this case, a oracle slash barbarian, you want to get abilities from both of those classes that you can utilize to say, yes, I am a barbarian and yes, I am an oracle. And that one's one that hits uh, pretty early because you want to get Rage, you want to get Revelations, you get those both at level one. But sometimes the benchmarks aren't at level one. Sometimes the benchmarks, the things you need or the things you want are at different levels. So suppose you're playing a Paladin and Bard because both Paladin and Bard have Charisma synergies. But you don't want to start putting levels in them willy-nilly. You want to have benchmarks that you want to reach in each respective class so that you kind of have this outline of where you want to go as you level up. So if you're a paladin and a bard, well, what do you want from both of them? You want to be able to perform from the bard. Well, you get that at level one. But you probably also want the versatile performance ability from the bard because that allows you to use your charisma for some of your skill checks. 
So you want to hit at least level two as bard. So you kind of have that benchmark. You want to hit at least level two in bard, and then you can start putting the levels into paladin. Mm. The prestige class prerequisites are also benchmarks you want to hit, whether they require you to have certain base attack bonus amounts, or they require you to have certain levels of spell casting. Those are the benchmarks you want to reach. An example I can think of that I did sort of early in my Pathfinder career is, is I think a lot of people did this so much that Paisel even put out other things saying, stop doing this. I put points into Alchemist because I can get some extra limbs. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I can have four arms and I don't know, four swords or four guns. Or like, I think the thing I did was two bows. And so I only needed to get a certain amount of levels in Alchemist so that I could get the discovery to get the extra arms. Then I didn't give a crap about Alchemist anymore. Exactly. Eventually, you're going to reach a point where you're like, I don't need anything else from this class. I've gotten the abilities I care about. I can start putting points into other classes. You don't always need to aim for one of these goals. You can put your class levels wherever you want. But with these goals, you're going to get the most mileage out of multiclassing, and it gives us a framework of how we want to proceed with our character. With that philosophy in mind, the goals that we're aiming to do, let's go into the actual mechanics of how do you take a character and distribute these levels? What do you actually do? So mechanically, when you're writing down in your character sheet, how do you actually distribute these levels? What do you do? So let's start from a character who is level one. And let's suppose that we are aiming for that Eldridge Knight. We want to be a martial character that can also cast spells. So we're going to be using both Fighter and we're also going to be using Wizard. So at level one, we have to pick a class to put a level into. Let's pick Fighter. So we're just going to do a normal level one Fighter. At level one as a Fighter, we get all their weapon proficiencies, all their armor proficiencies, all their class skills. We get two plus our intelligence modifier and skill points. We get one BAB, we get plus two to our fortitude save, and we get whatever the level one ability of the fighter is, in this case, a bonus feat. We know how to make a level one character, cool. So we got all our fighter stuff down. So now we reach level two. We're now going to put our second level into wizard. So fighter is going to stay at level one. With our second level, we're now going to put one level into wizard. The character is level two, but each of his classes are only level one. So now we're going to go to the wizard table and we're going to add to our character all of the things we get from the level one wizard row of the class table. So that means we're going to get, you know, all the class skills of the wizard. We're going to get the skill points at this level in accordance with the wizard, which is two skill points. We're going to get the weapon and armor proficiencies from wizard, but those don't really matter because they're worse than the fighter. We're going to get the spellcasting ability from wizard in all of its limitations. We're going to get the arcane school, arcane bond, scribe scroll abilities from the wizard. So now we want to level up again. And here we have the option. Well, what do we want to do? Do we want to put levels into fighter or do we want to put levels into wizard? Well, what is our goal? Our goal is to qualify for the Eldritch Knight Prestige class, and that requires us to have proficiency in all martial weapons and to be able to cast level 3 arcane spell. We already have the weapon proficiency just by putting a single level into fighter, so we don't need to put anything else there. We can now start focusing on wizard and keep putting levels into wizard until we get to level 3 arcane spells. So now we are a level 3 character, but our wizard levels are at level 2. So we're going to go to the wizard class table, we're going to go to the second row for the second level, and we're going to add everything that advances from that row to our character. This means we're going to add 1 BAB, we're going to increase our will save by 1, we're going to get some more spells per level. 
And that's it. We don't do anything with the fighter. The fighter table, we don't even look at it. We don't care about the <laughs> Don't even look at it. If you look at it, the character sheet will spontaneously combust and you'll be kicked out of Pathfinder society. We do not tolerate it. You have left that life behind. You're now a wizard who has a past of fighter. So that, that's really the gist of it. You just need to go to the tables and follow them correctly in accordance with how many class levels you have in that individual class. Once we have put enough levels into wizard and we have level three arcane spells, now we're going to start putting class levels in into Eldritch Knight, which has its own table that we're going to follow in the same pattern. It's something that's overall pretty simple, but confuses people at first because they're like, well, I'm level two, I'm level three. How am I both at the same time? You just need to understand the difference between the character level and your individual class levels. Right. You could be a level five character and you could have five different class levels. I'm a fighter, wizard, barbarian, bard, monk, alchemist. But each of those are only using the abilities of the level one character. Let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons of multiclassing. When you have your character now that's a multi-class character, what did he get out of it? Now you've got lots of class skills, especially if you've specifically picked classes that had different class skills. Uh, you have high saving throws now and at least a wider variety of saving throws. Your BAB is going to be a little bit worse now, probably, unless I guess you were always picking a full BAB caster. A full BAB caster. You know, all those full BAB casters. <laughs> I think I see some third-party content that has a full BAB, full <laughs> spellcasters. And now you have more abilities, but they're weaker. You're maybe a level three character, but your abilities are not as great as a level three wizard, whatever it be. So to highlight some of this, the high saving throws, when you have a strong saving throw, the first level you put into a class, you get plus two to your good saving throws. And then it right. scales up slowly over time. So if you have this theoretical character that has like one level in five different classes, their saving throws are going to be through the roof. Because it's going to be plus two every level, plus two, plus two, plus two. Whereas normally it's plus two. And then like every other level, you get plus one at your good saving throw. And it's at least at early levels. When you get higher levels, you're not going to be multiclassing nine times. Right. And the BAB is a big one. If you are doing three-fourths or one-half BAB classes, it's really painful. Because when you first take a level in anything but a full BAB class, you get plus zero to your base attack bonus. So mm -hmm. suppose we use our rogue monk. When you put your first level in rogue, you get plus zero. When you put your first level into monk, well, you also get plus zero. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to watch out for that. There's certain class combinations that are really going to gut your BAB if you hop around incorrectly or too often. You don't understand. I'm getting 19 sneak attacks. Yes, but John, you never hit. <laughs> So what are some classes that are good to multi-class into? What are, what are good classes to do what's called a dip? A uh, dip is usually like, I'm only going to put one, two, maybe three levels into this to get an ability and then hop back off to my main class. The de facto one level dip class is the brawler. The brawler is the best, probably the best one level dip for any martial character to the point where you could even argue if you're a martial character, you probably should take a one-level dip in Brawler. What do we get for putting a single level into Brawler? We get an amazing list of class skills. They actually have a ton of class skills. We get a full BAB point. We get plus two in both Fortitude and Reflex. We get Unarmed Strike for free, and that's useful for anyone. Anyone You probably want to punch someone at some point. You can do it now. We get Brawler's Cunning, which allows our intelligence to count as 13 for feat prerequisites. And, uh... 
you know, just this little thing where uh, you can get any feat you want at any time, four times a day with martial flexibility. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter what you do after that point because Brawler can pick any feat to synergize with whatever you're doing at that time. It is absolutely insane how good Brawler is to take a dip into. Now, before Brawler came out, the the one I heard of, and it's just like one of two I've ever actually heard of with my limited knowledge of multiclassing, is Fighter. Because it's like, oh, I want heavy weapon proficiency. I've got to take a feat for this. Oh, yeah. Or you could just take a level in Fighter, and now you have proficiency in a bunch of weapons and armor. And, by the way, here's a free feat. Mm -hmm. For anyone doing a feat-intensive build, like you wanted to be an archer, but you were like a paladin or something, most people would say, well, put a level into Fighter, you're going to get yourself that bonus feat. And they're the only people, or one of the only classes that gets proficiency with tower shields. Not that that really matters, but in case you want to use a tower shield, they're like the only class that just gets it. And the other one I heard of, but I've never had it explained to me why, is the Oracle. Why is the Oracle good for a one-level dip? The Oracle is actually amazing because of their revelations. Wouldn't seem so because you get the revelation, you also get the curse. But some of the revelations you can get are really, really strong. The lore mystery, one of its revelations allows you to basically replace your charisma as your dexterity for both AC and reflex saving throws. And that's really big. If you are a paladin and you don't have high dexterity, you can do a one-level dip into Oracle and now use your charisma instead of dexterity. And a lot of the curses come with a positive to it. And that's where the Barbarian Oracle comes from. One of the curses, I believe it's the Lame Curse, where you kind of have a leg that doesn't work, they get immunity to fatigue pretty early in their curse benefits. But there's so many mysteries out there, and you get a revelation at level 1, and you qualify for the extra revelation feat that a single level into Oracle ends up being pretty powerful. Paladin is a really, really good class to multi-class into. A one-level dip isn't the best. It's going to net you Smite, which will give you your Charisma to attack and your AC once a day. And it's going to give you some good proficiencies. But where Paladin really shines is doing a two-level dip. Because now you get Divine Grace, which says you get your Charisma bonus to all saving throws at all times. If you're a Sorcerer, if you're a Bard, if you're anything that has a few points in Charisma, Paladin is really good to do a dip into. Although obviously you have to be lawful good, and you have to adhere by the tenets of your god. If you already fall into that, then it becomes even easier. Imagine having all those restrictions. I'm a level 9 fighter, or whatever, 9 summoner who summons demons, but I did take that one level dip into Paladin, so I gotta be uh, I'm nice turning little. everything around, guys. I want those sweet, sweet saving throws. I turned a new page, a new leaf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a changed person. A traditional monk wasn't a great thing to do a dip into. Unchained monk, if you can get away with the unarmored restriction, is actually a really good dip. You get wisdom to your AC. You get a bonus feat from the list of monk bonus feats. You get two good saves. Three if you're using the traditional monk. You get flurry of blows, which the unchained version is just, you just get a free bonus attack every time you do a full round action. It's not like the weird two weapon fighting thing. And you get free unarmed strike. It's pretty good as one level dip. If you go into a three level dip, then you get a key pool, which allows you to get an another additional attack as many points as you have in your key pool. Can be quite powerful if you can exist as an unarmored character and you have a good amount of wisdom. 
Now you said three level dip. That scares me a lot. When I ever think about multi-classing, I, I rarely think about anything more than a dip. Am I off base here? It depends on the classes, but yeah, typically you don't want to go like more than three. Once you start going more than three, it starts to get a bit iffy, unless you're a martial class. If you look at martial classes, they don't get a lot as they level up. Uh, something like Gunslinger would be an example of you probably want to get to level five and get the dexterity to your damage with a gun. If you don't care about the deeds that much, just switch to another martial class. Switch to fighter and just get all the other cool bonuses that fighters get. And even then, like, you know, fighter's not that important to take a bunch of levels into. You can switch off to another martial classes. Martial classes make it really easy to multi-class. Hmm. But most of the time, no, you're usually you're doing a couple dips to get a qualification for a prestige class or to get one of these good abilities and then just stay with your other class. Because if you start going around too much, you'll definitely feel the effects on your character strength. I imagine it's rather painful to multi-class casters because, oh, I can cast level one sorcerer spells and then also level one wizard spells. I would rather cast a level two spell. Right. Anytime you're doing spell casters, you're almost always looking for a prestige class that will keep your spell levels up while taking other levels. Something like Eldritch Knight. If you're doing multiple spell casting classes, you're looking for Mystic Theurge because that allows you to level up arcane spell casting and divine spell casting at the same time. Uh, but typically, spell casters, you don't want to dip. You'll notice that of all the things I've said so far, Oracle's the only spell caster, and there's three fourths BAB. Really, none of the one half BAB classes are good to multi class into, except for prerequisites. In the past, we've thrown a lot of shade at prestige classes, favoring archetypes over them. It seems, though, from what I'm hearing from you, that when it comes to multi-classing, the prestige is king. I wouldn't say it's king, but a lot of times it's a good idea. I suppose maybe this will be a better statement. If you can't find an archetype to fit your concept and you need to multi-class to fit your concept, chances are prestige classes will be better. Potentially. But there's not an archetype for everything. There's not a prestige class for everything. If there is a prestige class for the combo you're going for, it's usually a good idea. But, you know, there's so many permutations of classes that you can double up in that it's likely it doesn't exist. All right, well, I've taken us on too many tangents. We just mentioned the monk for multi-classing. What's next? So the alchemist is a really good dip. Uh, you get extracts, which are basically level one spells you can use on yourself. You get the mutagen, which is really good for any character that cares about martial things because you basically get, you know, 10 minutes a day, you are getting like a double your strength in a physical attribute. You get two good saving throws and you get bombs, which, you know, 1d6 bombs aren't that great, but hey, little little hint for later, look for an archetype that just replaces the bad thing with something better. Like, oh, there's an archetype that replaces bombs <laughs> with sneak attack. That will scale way better than the actual bombs. Barbarians, a good multi-class target. You get fast movement as long as you're not wearing heavy armor. You get rage. You get a couple, you know, a healthy amount of rounds per day. And you get one big D12 hit die. A blood rager for very similar reasons. Inquisitor is a great two-level dip. You get your wisdom scaling in that you get your wisdom to your initiative, which can be really powerful. You get some judgments and you get some spells. Swashbuckler is a fantastic dip if you want to do anything finesse-wise because you get that free weapon finesse. Uh, the swashbuckler finesse works a little uniquely. And last example I'm going to throw at you right now is Gunslinger. Gunslinger, it's really easy to take a one-level dip if you want to use a gun rather than try and take an archetype that gives you a gun or try and take like the feet chain that allows you to use guns. Just take a one level dip a gunslinger and get it over with yeah because not only do you get the gun you also get hey look here's some deeds and the three things you can do at level one aren't bad dodging hitting touch ac from a distance and uh fixing your gun exactly and it, the fixing your gun's also a big one because if you take the feet chain to do that you, you can't fix your gun on the fly if you need to 
Whew, so that, that was quite a few that are good at it. And you'll notice like a similar theme amongst all the ones that are good with is they usually have some kind of scaling with a stat. You know, you're usually going to be multi-classing in classes that have synergistic stats. Like a monk and inquisitor. They both rely on wisdom. You can double down on your wisdom scaling. What are some examples of bad multi-classes though? De facto, bad multi-class class is summoner. Summoner, I cannot think of a valid reason you would take a dip or multi-class in summoner. Literally everything scales under level. There's spell casting skills on level. And you're going to have a level one Edelon that's useless. He's not useless. He's there for moral support. <laughs> He's your little cheerleader. Your mascot. Don't let him get caught in an AoE or it's over. You tell me this, Caleb, because you know the class much better, but I feel like Kineticist would be the worst class to multi-class into because literally everything scales on their level. Oh, uh, you're 100% correct. I mean, there's like, in your imagination sphere, it's like, oh, I get a couple cool spell-like abilities, but the attack you're getting is going to be garbage very quickly as you're leveling up. Because, like, the everything involving kinetic blast is all based on level, right? The damage it does, the range it goes, the modifiers you can apply on it, your ability to manage burn. Like, everything is just, if you take a level in anything besides kineticist, you're getting gutted. Yeah, it's all level dependent. So if you're uh, fantasizing about just dipping in to be the avatar real quick, uh, you, you, it's all or nothing. We mentioned full spellcasters. Uh, Sorcerer is a double-down example of a bad class to multi-class into, even if you want to do arcane spellcasting multi-classing. Because generally, unless you're prestiging for a class like Eldritch Knight or something like Arcane Archer, full spellcasters, in general, not good. Sorcerer is doubly not good because they get a reduced spell level. Wizard gets level 2 spells at level 3. The Sorcerer has to wait until level 4 to get level 2 spells, and generally are a level or two behind the Wizard. So when you want to meet the prerequisites for something like Eldritch Knight, you're going to have to wait a whole nother level to do so. And multiclassing is already putting you behind. You don't want to be another level behind. Now we talked about if there's not an archetype, multiclassing is a good option. Is there any good archetypes that work with multiclassing? So once you start combining archetypes with multiclassing, that's where like, this is my domain. We're in my domain now. <laughs> there are lots of archetypes that are really good with multiclassing. So a, something that makes a class good or bad at doing a dip in is a particular ability. These abilities are either good when they don't have scaling or they're bad when they don't have scaling. The example we gave earlier of a bad multi-class class is Summoner. Summoner is really bad because your Edelon is worthless. But what if we take a archetype that changes the way the Edelon works? Like, I don't know, Synthesis Summoner. Oh, boom, wow, I'm a, a level one dip now allows me to permanently use the physical attributes of my Eidolon instead of my character, making it a kind of crazy one-level dip for a spellcasting character. I had mentioned a one-level dip into Alchemist. You know, it's already pretty good, but you get your bombs, and your bombs aren't that useful because they're only going to do 1d6 damage. Well, take the Vivisectionist archetype. Now it's a 1d6 sneak attack, which is you're going to be able to use without even thinking about it. And heck, we had mentioned that there are archetypes that exist that fill the niche of being a multi-class class. There are Paizo classes, like the Brawler, all the Advanced Player's Guide classes that exist to fill a niche of two classes combined. Well, now you can put multi-class levels into your multi-class classes and archetypes so you can multi-class while you multi-class, and you can prestige into a something that multi-classes, and you can also use variant multi-class, which allows you to replace your feats with other class abilities to put even more multi-classing on top of this multi-classing multi-layer cake. And I don't even know how many levels of multi-class I am right now. There's no particular examples I have right now, but overall this is this is something that becomes very complicated. 
and is definitely an avenue to look into. You can start basically amassing different class abilities to make a really versatile character, but it obviously comes with a lot of bookkeeping. At this point, you're really exercising your knowledge, your deep knowledge of the system and all its options. You're going to need all those splat books, all those campaign settings, all those players' guides. You're going to need all of them, but thankfully it's all free online, so you can just go to Archive of Deathies, and you can just click on your class, you can click, oh look, there's the Archetypes tab, there they all are. You're going to kitbash all these puzzle pieces together, spend hours, all your knowledge there on the page just to hand to your gym and say, no, this is, you're obviously min-maxing, this is crazy, what are you doing? <laughs> no, never. We talked about in the, the Summoner episode that your Eidolon becomes this weird mismatch of abilities just to become more powerful that make no sense. You could start to do that with your own character, with multi-classing archetypes and multi-class classes and perceived classes. And this is all in mind for you to get the character you want to play, whether it's a particular strength you want or a particular fantasy you want to fulfill. For me, uh, outside of Inquisitor, there's no class that really fulfills being kind of sneaky and being a holy person. So outside of the one class that does make you a sneaky holy person, you can't find any, huh? They work very particularly. Inquisitor is a very specific idea. Maybe I don't want to be the stern, you know, people fear me, I'm the holy just a car type. Maybe you just want to be someone right. who is, a, you know, a, a positive person and not a fearful one. Well, then I guess you didn't see who I romanced in Mass Effect 2. <laughs> I thought it was Tally. It was Tally. <laughs> I just remember there was somebody literally called it just a car. It was like a fanatic zealot lady. The blue tentacle hair lady, I think. Isn't that the one that kills you if you romance her? I don't know. I didn't do it. The <laughs> other day, I, I, I was watching some videos on the romances so you could just see all the romance interaction. And boy, oh boy, should that stuff just stay in memory because some of the writing of, you know, I don't think that's how people flirt or that doesn't seem like a sort of normal reaction to somebody flirting. But then again, I wouldn't know how to react if somebody said that to me. I was watching Garrus because I played a guy so you couldn't get with Garrus and I also wanted to be with Tally. So I'm like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to get with Garrus. And all of his stuff was just like the most obnoxious hit online. He's like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting that. Well, if our biological things work together, I suppose. Wow, I feel really... Oh, no, this was it. He said, I respect you, so I'll sleep with you. It sounds like you're carrying some tension. Maybe I could help you get rid of it. Well, why the hell not? There's nobody in this galaxy I respect more than you. What? Who? If somebody <laughs> said that to me, it would be all off. That's not the reason we should... Because you respect me? Would you rather them tell you they don't respect you but they will sleep I with you <laughs> i feel like that would be the worse key, the key factor <laughs> oh that garris pillow talk <laughs> your um hair looks good and your waist is very supportive i respect you and you you know you have a lot of worth and yeah we're in the same bed and you're in my arm <laughs> And also, they didn't know what to do. They didn't, so, like every time you were with him in your in your bed, he always had like all his armor on because they were like, "I don't want to try to figure out his anatomy." <laughs> Tally's just like a person, so we can make her little. Uh, we can reduce the clothing on her. Garrus, uh, and that armor is also very big. I don't know what's going on under there. All I know is that when he's like literally lying next to you in bed, he's in armor because <laughs> he respects you. That's right, because he respects. <laughs> He yeah. wouldn't disrespect you by laying naked in your bed. That's gross. Right. <laughs> but I just... You're so, <laughs> you're so hot. I respect you, too. 
Uh, but it's no, it's a great, it's a game, and, it's, and and you know they gave all these options. It really did all these great things that hadn't happened before, or implemented them in, in new ways. But still, boy, the dialogue writers. I don't mean if they're ashamed, but maybe not the best. There's a reason there's a stereotype about nerds and people in the hobby and their ability to talk to the opposite gender romantically. I'm replaying Fallout 4 right now, and at least it's better. Wait, wait, first off, how does... But it's, all right, guys, I'll stop. We're, this is multi-classing. I'll get... I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> We're multi-classing this topic with a romance. That's right. <laughs> that would have been really meta. We should have done like two episodes in one. Uh, <laughs> hindsight, my friend. So we hit our romance benchmark. We we got the Garrus conversation. <laughs> we don't we don't, we don't have to put any more points on that. Now we can go back to the multi-class topic. And when you think about it, when you get his romance up high enough, you get a new perk. So that's like multi-classing. <laughs> <laughs> I respect you. I want a multi-class. <laughs> Uh, so we talked a lot about multi-classing, how to make it effective, things that are good with multi-classing. Uh, what are some other ways you can utilize multi-classing? You can use multi-classing within a story, within a setting, to kind of flesh out certain organizations. A lot of the existing prestige classes in Pathfinder exist to be a representation of a certain faction that you join. For instance, the Lionbleed prestige class is a network of urban assassins slash spies slash secret agents that require theatrical training to bolster their spy work. So it's kind of like a rogue bard multi-class. But then when you take that class, it's kind of representative of, oh, you're joining this faction that do this. Uh, another example would be the Red Mantis Assassin. The Red Mantis Assassin are this very enigmatic group of assassins that merge both spellcasting and dual-wielding blades. I personally have used multi-classing in settings that I've made before to set the tone for something like spellcasters. I made a low magic setting where magic was dying and kind of vilified. And to represent this mechanically, I had it so the rules of that setting were no character could have levels solely in a spellcasting class. If you were to take spells in a spellcasting class, you would have to have at least one level in a non-spellcasting class. And this served two purposes. It kind of quote-unquote nerfed spellcasters within the setting, and it gave the spellcasters other abilities to rely on when they couldn't use their magic if they didn't want to out themselves as a spellcaster and potentially suffer repercussions. Or if they ran into something with immunity to magic, they would have their level of fighter or swashbuckler or whatever they took to fall back on. I find that you can use it to tell a story. Say you have an NPC who used to be a cleric, did something wrong. I mean, there's a lot of rules like if you disobey a cleric, you lose all these cleric abilities or paladin abilities. You can actually have somebody have them multi-class into things to show that. So they could still have like the small things that they would get for having been a paladin that don't go away. Or whatever, other things like that. Oh, I used to be a gunslinger, but I don't do that anymore. So give a few levels of gunslinger in there, just for storytelling purposes. You know, that's a good point, because that's a way you can end up naturally multi-classing, because there are a lot of classes that have these stipulations, like if you disobey your god, you lose the, you can't take any more levels in this class, or, you know, you disobey nature, you can't take any more levels in druid or hunter. And um, that could be kind of an organic way that you end up multi-classing, and you'll want to refer to these rules and how you can make the best of that kind of situation. And the weird thing about that is, though, those ones that we're talking about, you actually lose stuff in many ways irrelevant in that point. But other things that you don't lose them, also good for the storytelling. So other ways as the GM you can use multi-classing is to kind of set up enemies for your party to fight. You can use multi-classing to make an enemy more powerful without making them overbearing or make them party wipe instantly. So, for example, if your party is like level 6, you can have an enemy that is like 
five to six levels of two different classes, making them a total like level 10 character. As long as you're not making those classes very synergistic with each other, you're going to basically just be padding their HP and padding their saving mm. throws while giving them a good repertoire of tools to throw against the party that match their strength. So, you know, your party's level six, and this enemy is a level six fighter and also a level six, I don't know, kineticist, something that's not good at multi-classing. They're going to have strengths that match the party, but have a bloated HP pool that make them more threatening or kind of mm -hmm. bolstered BAB that make them more threatening. And it kind of throws the CR calculation out the window. The way you can think of it is that like a level eight character, suppose you're a level eight fighter. If you fought a level eight monk, you know, you'd be kind of evenly matched, right? You, you wouldn't necessarily wipe the floor with a level 8 monk. But if you're a level 8 character and you fight two level 4 characters, a level 4 rogue and a level 4 monk, well, you're probably going to wipe the floor with them. You're four, four levels over both of them. It's crazy. They're, they're not going to stay a chance. They don't even have an iterative attack. Uh, just because you take that level 4 monk and that level 4 rogue and put them into one character, it's still going to kind of be unbalanced for the fighter to win. But you can use that to make stronger enemies. So now you can put your level 6 party up against a level 12 character where if they were just a single class it wouldn't be a question they would get rinsed but now that they're multi-classing it's much more balanced i want to talk about the ways that we've multi-classed in the in the past because i got an example that really fits in well here one of the only times i've multi-classed is i created an enemy for the party that was a level 10 fighter and a level 10 wizard because what i wanted for him to do is summon creatures and then fight alongside them and he was a boss-like character I pit him against people that were way lower than level 20, but they still had a fighting chance. Like you said, he still, because he was a boss, he had the higher hit pool, but he was half wizard, which isn't great BAB. So yes, his BAB was still better than a level 10 fighter, but it wasn't way better. So it wasn't just like, oh, well, he's always going to hit us and he's always going to critical us. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just going to happen. No, 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 no. He, it was just about a fair chance as he would want a boss to be. And he was able to take the time to summon monsters and then fight alongside them. And there was no worry about either of those things being too hard for the party. He wasn't summoning monsters from the summon monster nine list. He was at a level that was appropriate for the players, but still enough of a twist that he was a boss. What are some ways you've uh, multiclassed? So I've multiclassed the same way as you. A lot of times when I have villains or enemies, I will just throw some extra class levels on them to make them a little bit more threatening and to give them more varied skills. Or if I can interrupt you real quick, one other thing is just like, well, I only I need him to have this one ability. In my, my mind, he should have this one thing to make him work. Oh, he's a key. Maybe I want him to be an alchemist, but I really need him to have teleportation for some reason because I need him to like sort of, I don't know, jump around the world following the party because he's one of their recurring villains. So I'll give him a couple levels of wizard or something. That's the same. It's not a real example. It's off the top of my head. You get the idea. Right, and I, I love this concept because you're basically taking the, the fact that multi-classing is bad. Multi-classing will result in a weaker character, but just allowing that to scale upward so that, yes, it's a weaker than a character would be at that level, but they're cooler. You know, we, we multi-class because it's sure. cool. You do a lot of different stuff, and you want your villain to be able to do a lot of stuff. But outside of that, I've used it a lot as a player. My most recent example, character I was playing was an investigator, and they use the terrible archetype sleuth, which replaced their extracts with uh, charisma scaling grit abilities. And as we went through that campaign, we eventually hit level nine. And at level nine, I hit a really crazy benchmark with Investigator, and it was greater combat inspiration, which allowed me to spend my charisma luck points to boost my attacks to a really powerful level. And then I looked at it, I was like, well, I don't have spellcasting. I don't have extracts. I don't really have a reason to keep going down sleuth. 
And then a reason came up in the story for me to be a holy warrior. So I was like, hey, I have some charisma. Uh, why don't I start putting some levels into Paladin? Paladin's something that scales with charisma really powerful. So I became a really powerful combatant because I started wearing heavy armor. And I started using the inspiration to boost my combat attacks. And I started using smite evil to boost my combat attacks. It ended up being a really powerful character. In fact, you played with that one, Caleb. That was Baxter Ross, the Rougarou investigator, who is not just Scruff McGruff the crime dog. It was... Wait... Holy crap, Christian! <laughs> it's been so long. Tell me I made that joke at some point in the campaign. Or am I just realizing it now? I don't know. I don't know if it was ever, like, said. I thought it was just, like, accepted. It was so long ago. I ooh, I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't think of that, which makes me angry. It's like when we did season two of Trailblazers, and we had a literal tiger guy, and we kept making jokes about product placement, and I didn't do a freaking Tony the Tiger bit, and then <laughs> literally I want to delete all of season two from the internet because I'm so embarrassed I didn't make that joke. <laughs> well, you can't delete my memories, Kate. You'll always be embarrassed. <laughs> Scruff McGruff. I'm so upset at myself. <laughs> He's, he didn't have a trench coat, so it wasn't that obvious. Uh, I, m- I mentioned before, I'll, I'll mention now quickly, I, I did leveling up into Alchemist just to get extra arms, which uh, you could just pick Kasatha if your GM will let you. Your GM probably won't let you. Kasatha's busted. GMs, don't let your players get pick Kasatha, please. Wow. Don't, I am commanding your table not to. It's a heavy consideration. I think they get plus like four AC just for existing. <laughs> it's hey, really- GMs, <laughs> don't let your players have fun. Don't you dare. Uh, you're. We're doing an episode on multiclassing and you've just- exactly pointed out to our our listeners the ones to pick that are going to be really good and create some busted combos but you're like don't let them pick asatha 4ac plus 4ac is crazy just for your race <laughs> there's no trade 4ac but by the way guys if you're a fighter pick brawler and you can get any feat you want four times a day 4ac guys listen oracle one level dip you'll you'll thank me later that's more and than four arms 4ac four arms three feats Kasatha literally has a level adjustment associated with it. Just get a gunslinger, it's as good as 19 feats. I mean, 2AC, maybe! I had someone do a Kasatha gunslinger before where they dual-wielded muskets, and it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> get four and do Pistolero archetype. One of my first characters ever was actually a multi-class, and I don't remember why I multi-class, but I wanted to do the prestige class called Pathfinder Chronicler, which their whole thing is like they get a pool of money, and they can reach into their backpack and pull out any item they want that they just accrued and you get to declare it at that time. And mm. it didn't have like very restrictive prerequisites. So I just took like both bard and ranger because I wanted to be a bard that used a bow. It was one of my first characters. It wasn't the strongest one, but it was a lot of fun. And prestige classing was something that enabled that. And one time I joined a campaign and I looked at the party and they didn't have any spellcasters. They didn't have a divine spellcaster. They didn't have a arcane spellcaster. So you caster. made a level 10 character with one level in each of the casting classes. I wish. I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> I am the most useless member of the team. Somebody want cantrips? Because I have them galore. (laughs) Did somebody call for cantrips? That fire's lit. Your clothes are fixed. I can read magic and detect magic. (gasps) I command all of magic. 4AC! I'm sorry, keep going. (laughs) But I was like, okay, I'll just do both. So I made a wizard slash cleric that took the prestige class Mystic Theurge. 
which levels both of them up at the same time. And that one wasn't very fun. There comes a point where you can do too many things, and Mystic Theurge does too many things. You're kind of a Swiss Army knife for any situation, being both spellcasters, and I actually did not enjoy that character. The GM was always like, oh yeah, you're chasing after this guy, he's got this puzzle. I'm like, okay, I got a spell for that. Well, there's this trap, and to get around it, you have to, nope, spell for that. It, it, it was it was not fun having the answers to everything. All right, Christian, I have a challenge for you. Okay. I need you to create a multi-class character that has both an archetype, a prestige class, and all of the classes are hybrid advanced class guy classes. Okay, okay. Let me let me think a second. And one of the classes has to use an archetype? Yep. I'd say both, but since you don't have them all at time, you're coming up with the right way. You can do- okay, I can do both. Uh, so from the advanced hybrid classes, you can be a level into swashbuckler to get martial weapon proficiencies. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you can take the arcanist, and you can take the it's a the archetype blade adept. That's what it's called, blade adept, where you lose some abilities to get a sword as a one half BAP class. Didn't we? Just drag that through the dirt? Yeah, we did, but that's looking at it in a vacuum. <laughs> I'm going to make it useful. I- I'm double enough on your-, your challenge here, Caleb. We're going to use Swashbuckler to get high dex, high charisma. Uh, we're going to key off that charisma. Oh, wait, no, we can put another archetype on this. Hang on, I'm going off. I'm popping wait, off here. you can use Arcane Weapon Exploit with the other thing we made fun of to give to enhance your weapon. Okay, we we got three stats we're keying off of here. We got dexterity, <laughs> we got intelligence, we got charisma, okay? Dexterity is always going to be good to go. It's going to be from Swashbuckler. You're going to get your weapon finesse ability. You're going to key it off the black blade that you get from Blade. Listen to how excited he is. You're going to use the archetype you hear how fast he's talking. Inspired Blade from Swashbuckler, which adds some intelligence scaling. Christian the just bla- had a the blade adept arcane shine to his eyes. And honestly, you could just do those two, but if you want to take a prestige class, you could then just take Eldritch Knight to level them both up at the same time, essentially. I've seen my cat react to Cabinet the way he's There reacting. you go. Did, did I miss anything? I got two archetypes, two prestige classes, and a uh, advanced player's hybrid class. And so the question here is, is this guy garbage or not? Can he do literally anything? No, he's. I think he's actually really good. <laughs> 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 I, I'd have to look in the way that their abilities scale, but I think that would actually be a really strong class. Amazing. He's asking me if my character's any good. Please, Caleb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have doubted. <laughs> I resent the mere suggestion. Well, honestly, I think it, you know, there's there's some episodes that we just say we're not going to do. Like, like when we do when we review our classes, we say that we're not showing you how like here are all the best options for all the classes. We're analyzing the class and how it's made because there are things out there, guides where they show you here's all the good feats for this class that you should pick when you're leveling up. Here are the builds, what feats you should pick for the builds, what items will bolster that. All these things that are just so much better done in print and we're playing to our strength. I think in this case, this episode really is such an in-depth re- if you want a multi-class, we've given you all of the best options what you should pick for what scenario. Christian, I think you really uh you wrote and performed an amazing episode today. Well, thank you, but that's not everything, Caleb. There are some things that go along with multi-classing that we didn't go into detail on, particularly variant multi-classing. Well, Christian, don't worry. We are going to get into that in our 400 series where we do alternate rules and subsystems. We're actually going to talk about very multi-classing and other alternate ways to multi-class. Yeah, to put a, to put a pin on multi-classing, it's not for everyone. 
you know, if you're someone that has to research stuff and kind of has trouble maintaining a single character sheet, I wouldn't suggest multi-classing because it starts to get a little complicated, especially with the newer classes released by Paizo. You know, you're going to have to be keeping track of like three different pools of points and different passive abilities, and it is a lot of bookkeeping. But that's something that excites me about the game. I like researching. I like finding synergies between the classes and making a wholly unique character. Uh, but, you know, it might not be for you. If that is difficult or you just don't think it's worth it for the effect, just take one of the archetypes that will allow you to basically get the multi-classing experience without the headache of doing all the bookkeeping. I mean, I lean heavily on Hero Lab to make my character sheets. I could mm -hmm. do it by hand, but it would just take a lot of time and I'd rather just have that done for me. We're not sponsored or anything, if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> I just wait. I just really like using <laughs> Hero Lab. This sounds like sarcasm. We are not. We're not. No. And we're also bad businessmen because good businessmen don't mention any other products unless they get paid to. And we've mentioned Hero Lab a couple of times, which means if Hero Lab ever considers sponsors, they'll go, "No, they're already doing it for free." <laughs> but uh, uh, wait, I can say this. There's free things online. PC Gen is free. Just go download that. <gasps> Well, now we're never going to get a sponsorship, Christian. <laughs> well, I don't. I feel like I've done the wrong thing both times. Well, Christian, this was a, a in-depth review, and I want to say um, I really respect your knowledge on this topic, which I guess means we're dating now. Thank you all <laughs> for listening. Class is dismissed. Trailblazer Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com. This is Johan Mertens. Thanks for listening. Wow, your armor's so cold and bulky. I guess we literally did do that with Kentaro in season Oh, we did that with Kentaro in season two. He slept in his armor. Oh, it subconsciously got into my brain. Art imitates life, Caitlin. <laughs>